Joining me now is Ambassador Deborah Lipstadt, Special Envoy to Monitor and Combat Anti-Semitism for the State Department for the Administration. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Andrea. This is a tough time. It's a very tough time. Uh, when I first came into office, it was busy. There was a rise. There was a surge in anti-Semitism already then. But now we're seeing a tsunami. And it's across, you've mentioned two instances here in the United States, but it's across the world. I've been since October 7th in uh, Italy, France, Germany, Canada, and now in Israel. But in all those European countries and in Canada, um, people are afraid. You know, one thing that occurs is that there was so much sympathy for Israel after October 7th. Mm -hmm. It turned rather quickly, and mm -hmm. I, my feeling you know, anecdotally, is it really turned after the bombing of the refugee uh, camp. Uh, and the hospital. And, and the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the siege created, you know, problems with the U.N. The U.N. is always difficult for Israel. There's right. no question about that. Welcome back. Another episode of Our Interesting Times. It is my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine, the author of many books, including the most recently published, The Holocaust Narrative. Dr. Jones, how are you doing this Christmas season? Good, Tim. How are you? Very well. Thanks for coming back on the show. You're welcome. Well, it's Christmas season, but all I hear in the news is anti-Semitism and Jews. It's a very Jewish Christmas this year. Uh, it's anti-Semitism apparently is the number one problem. It's, apparently it's spiking. It, there must be something going on, or just just this is just one of these uh, uh, hysterical moments. There is. Is it the moon? It might be the moon. Right? <laughs> maybe maybe it's 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 a uh, it's a five G. What what's obviously spiking is Jewish asocial behavior. Uh, as manifested in Gaza, the whole world is appalled at the total disregard of human decency, the moral law and civilized behavior that Israelis are now exhibiting in their war on the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Jews never do anything wrong. And so they are uh, complaining about anti-Semitism, which means they're complaining about the fact that people have a, a a moral compass when they don't. This this is what they're complaining about. They ha they have uh, the the uh, right to break the moral law with impunity, and no one can hold them accountable. And if you hold them accountable, you're an anti-Semite. Yeah, and according according to the U.S. Congress, uh, if if you are critical of Israel. And question Zionism, it, you're you're an anti-Semite. You're guilty of anti-Semitism. Throw them all in jail. Mm -hmm. How many billions of people are we going to throw in jail now? The United. It, all you have to look to do is look at the United Nations resolutions 
the United States vetoing a uh, ceasefire uh, with the entire world voting against it. I don't know, maybe Nauru uh, voted. Uh, maybe they sent another uh, batch of fried chicken there and maybe they voted for it. But uh, the, the optics don't look good. The entire world is wants a ceasefire and the United States is using its veto uh, to prevent it. And not only that, the United States is sending the bombs there that are killing all these Palestinian women and children. Yeah, apparently it's reported up to 200 military aircraft have made deliveries to Israel uh, with an estimated 15,000 bombs to help uh, with their war effort with the Palestinians. Civilians. Yes. If you're bombing Palestine, if you're bombing Gaza, you are killing civilians. Hamas is underground. The soldiers are underground, except when they come out to blow up Israeli tanks. So this is a war crime. And the policy is absolutely clear by now. It's they want to engage in the total ethnic cleansing of Gaza, and they're going to murder anybody who doesn't leave. That's that's the policy right now. So it's just pure ethnic cleansing at this point. Yes, that's, yeah. that's what it is. That's what it is. And murder uh, uh, and uh, genocide uh, for the people who don't leave. Well, nevertheless, the official position is just uh, America loves Israel because the entire political class is still on board. Uh, one, re- I think uh, there's been 16 or 17 resolutions since uh, Mike Johnson became speaker, all in support of Israel. Um, that seems to be the only thing they can act upon on, on Capitol Hill these days is more money and more uh, resolutions praising Israel. The one thing you cannot do is connect the the leadership class with the American people. It's clear that no matter uh, what they say to get elected, as soon as they get in office, they represent Israel's interest, and nobody represents the interest of the American people who want peace, who don't want their bombs, uh, their money being spent on bombs, killing innocent women and children. So we've got a political crisis uh, because no one knows how to stop the genocidal behavior in uh, Gaza at this point. This was what proved the the United Nations, uh, the uh, League of Nations, was proven ineffective because it couldn't prevent these uh, th- these wars. And uh, now the United Nations is proving equally ineffective by being unable to rein in Israel. This is historically the role of the United States of America. But uh, it's very simple. You know, if you're running out of ammunition, uh, sorry, we're not going to restock it until you stop uh, using it to kill women and children. It would be very simple, but apparently no one can do this, least of all Anthony Blinken. Well, it would appear that no one in Congress really has the political will or the inclination to question it. It could be it speaks to perhaps the power of APAC and the and the. Uh... The Jewish lobby on Capitol, whether through bribery or blackmail, I mean, we're finding out perhaps why their operations like like Jeffrey Epstein's, perhaps. Yeah, that was the blackmail angle. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was clearly run by the, the Israelis to compromise politicians so that they could blackmail them, any type of influential person. If he got out of line, then they released the tapes of him having sex with some teenager, and that would end his career. 
uh, unless you're Alan Dershowitz, and I guess it doesn't end your career. Mm -hmm. but, um, although he was snubbed by Larry David when he was on Martha's Vineyard. Now, that's really serious. <laughs> so even Larry David was disgusted with him. That's interesting. He actually was stupid enough to write something along these lines, saying how everybody was snubbing him on Martha's Vineyard. Well, too bad, Alan. I really feel sorry for you. You know, stop being so obnoxious. Maybe people will stop snubbing it. Well, I mean, how do we get to this point? I'm talking about blackmail because this goes way back. It isn't just a Jeffy Epstein. When Rory Cohn had various operations, that was the source of his power. Uh, of course, uh, Meyer Lansky and the Jewish Mafia had uh, compromised the FBI way as early as, as the 1930s, right? I mean, yeah, and Her Herbert, uh, what's it, J. Edgar was compromised himself. Mm -hmm. Gal had pictures of him in his pink nighty. Uh, so it's, it's uh, and the other uh, group that you can't, uh, should uh, remember is uh, Alfred Kinsey, one of the greatest blackmailers of all time, until he ran into J. Edgar Hoover, who was a greater blackmailer, and he basically capitulated and uh, caved in. And uh, when Kinsey got out of hand, I think he was uh, murdered uh, in the hospital. He went into the hospital. He was 56 years old, never came out. It's not the first time someone was murdered in the hospital. No, no. And I think I, I say this because he had threatened the Rockefellers. The Rockefellers realized they created a monster in Kinsey. And uh, so they uh, were going to cut, cut the funding. And cut the funding, he would cut his credibility. And so he was threatened to expose anybody who would give him the sex history. Well, that's a lot of people. And I think that's, I, then the next thing you know, he's dead. I think they killed him. I think they killed him. Blackmailing operation, Jewish blackmailing operation was Playboy, the Playboy mansion. Mm -hmm. uh, Hugh Hefner was the only goy at Playboy. Everyone else, everything else was Jews. They wrote a memoir recently, which I covered in uh, Culture Wars, magazine about how the Jews ran Playboy, the, the so-called Playboy philosophy was written by a Jew. They all, they all, uh, after they retired, they all talked about how they controlled, uh, controlled Playboy. Well, the Playboy mansion had a camera in every room. And someone pointed this out to Hugh Hefner and he, he said, oh, I just thought it'd be interesting to watch as if he were a voyeur or something like that. No, you know, you were collecting evidence on all of these influential people. Uh, that would be usable if anyone threatened you be because of your the illegal activity you were involved in, like drugs, for example. Mm -hmm. So he never was touched. No one touched that guy during his entire life. And then uh, Netflix did that series on him about all all the uh, the uh, the ladies who were involved in uh, running drugs for him, that type of thing. No one ever touched him. Did you happen to watch the uh, congressional hearings with the uh, uh, university presidents? No, I didn't. No. Did you see any of the highlights? Well, I, I saw a lot of the pictures, uh, 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 but no, I, I didn't follow it as closely as I should have. Well, uh, Stephanie from New York was doing her part to play that, you know, the uh, she was showboating her, her, I guess, her philosemitism, her Zionist uh, bona fides. And she you know, yelled at the, at the, I guess there was the McGill, who was the uh, president of Penn. Yeah. She has since resigned. Uh, because she wasn't, uh, I guess, uh, sufficiently enthusiastic about supporting Israel and gave lip service to free speech over censorship. 
Um, but you've you noticed in all these billionaires that have been so generous over the years donating money to universities because of their you know philanthropic inclinations now are threatening uh, either they have pulled or they're pulling the funding if the universities don't shut down the protest on the campuses. Yes. Oh, oh uh, out of the goodness of their heart, they gave billions of dollars, but uh, obviously strings were attached. Mm -hmm. So the uh, uh, Penn, Penn was a, a Jewish university when I was an undergraduate. Uh, they, everybody knew that. Um, Digby Balsall <laughs> wrote a, he was the last why. He actually said he, he coined the term wasp. He was a sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Generation. I think he was born the same year as my father, 1915. And he he wrote a book on tennis, which I thought was funny. Um, and uh, but another book about how the uh, they should open up the University of Pennsylvania to Jews. I thought, what is this book about? It's like opening the NBA to black people. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> um, opening a ballet up to Russians. Uh, it's it's. Uh, it was preposterous, but I felt he. I think that was he felt that was his mission in life. Well, they they converted early on, and so it was a totally Jewish operation. And then the Jews started going to Harvard, and then they took over Harvard. When my son was there in the early nineties, they were debating about how many Jews were. They're talking about it now. They don't even talk about it because they've taken total control. But uh, they're they're reluctant. See, I I said I have mixed feelings, you know. About that, uh, President Gay, Claudia Gay, yeah, yeah, like like what Henny Youngman used to say, watching your mother-in-law drive your Cadillac off a cliff. <laughs> yes, it gives you mixed feelings. So, is this? I'm glad they stood up to the Jews who were bullying Jews like Ackerman. But it's is that an endorsement of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion? Is it? Is it, uh, is it, I, I, I don't see that as something to cheer about. And that, uh, so I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about the whole thing. Well, so all, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Ackerman, is, he's, all, he's concerned about DEI and, and anti-white agitation on college campuses. Now he's concerned. I thought you were paying them to do that, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing exactly what they've been paid and trained to do for, for decades, actually. Yeah, I mean, what about uh, Noel Ignatieff, mm -hmm. of uh, critical race theory, who said uh, that uh, that uh, he, he wanted to kill white people or kill kill a white person today and do humanity a favor or something like that. Actually, I, I got in trouble again with the Irish. The poor Irish continue to think that they are white for some reason or other, and in order to to uh, bring them up to speed, I quoted uh, Noel Ignatieff wrote a book, uh, How the Irish Became White. So it's clear. I, I don't agree with killing white people. <laughs> <laughs> but I do agree that this that they weren't considered white at a certain point. I don't, I don't know whether what it was like when you were growing up. When I was growing up in Philadelphia and somebody did, did you a favor, you would say, that was mighty white of you. Yeah, I remember that expression, yes. Well, it, it means white, it, it was approval, it was a sign of approval. Mm -hmm. It's always what it's been until recently, and now it's a sign of opprobrium. 
but it's never been it never existed uh, applied to human beings when it didn't have some type of moral value attached to it, whether good or bad, you know, some type of endorsement. That's all I'm trying to say here. Uh, and uh, they, Harvard was putting that into effect in a in a way that was, you know, the opposite of what they were before, you know. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact, or does it change the fact? You tell me. Is this? I I was talking. I got on a show with um, Michael Scheuer, who was on the CIA guy, who oh, yeah. testified before Congress. One of your friends, you know, the guys you used to hang out with. <laughs> I, I actually saw him a couple of times at church. Yeah. Well, oh, I. Virginia, yeah. Uh, so anyway, he I, he was a hero of mine because he testified before Congress and said that the Israelis ran the the, the government, and I thought that was great. He's ahead of his time. I think he got ostracized for it. Uh, so I said, you know, I'm I've been hoping that there's a a split here uh, in the CIA between the WASP former WASP elite. And maybe David Ignatius, he's kind of a spokesman. I think we talked about him. Mm -hmm. And the Jews. And he said, forget it. <laughs> there are no adults left in the room. Oh, season. geez, really? <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed, you know, after he got my hopes up. Uh, but I kept thinking, well, McGregor must be talking of representing some constituency in the military. I don't know whether you saw the most recent interview between Colonel McGregor and Tucker Carlson, they consistently refuse to say the word Jew. <laughs> what? It's so obvious what they're talking about. So he, McGregor says, yeah, yeah, the neocons, Victoria Luland, their ancestors all came from Russia. Well, what mm. were they called when they were in Russia? Neocons? Neokonskis? What were they called? Uh, and then uh, the, the the second uh, was Michael Hudson saying, yeah, I know these people. They're they're crazy. They all came from Russia. They all have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Well, we keep beating around the bush here, don't we? <laughs> what group is this? I think you're telling me. Why? Uh, but I, I said, you know, uh, Colonel McGregor should know that Sun Tzu, the great uh, political philosopher, said, uh, if you don't know who you are and you can't identify the enemy, you will lose every battle. Don't you think a military man should know that? Well, I mean, they're give, they're they're giving giving it up anyway because uh, the moment that Israel had this crisis, all the Jews in America said we have to stand up for Israel. Well, why? Oh, so the fact that you're Jewish does matter. Is the is the is does take the priority here? So your your Jewish identity matters more than you, in your American citizenship, and so no matter what Israel does, you have to stand with Israel because you're a Jew, and Jew, uh, you know, is the same as Zionism. And apparently now that's becoming. It used to be that was that was debated or disputed. I mean, you, you, there's a distinction there, uh, but now congressional resolutions are saying if you're anti-Zionist or critical of Israel, you're by definition anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish. Um, same thing with the college campuses where Jewish students are claiming they're uncomfortable with the protests. Well, so what? You deal with your own discomfort. This is just the reality of the situation. You don't have a right not to feel uncomfortable when Israel's misbehaving and people are protesting. And what? not only is Israel misbehaving, they're demanding the U.S. government back them up and become complicit in their crimes. But since when does your comfort matter? Apparently – Feeling uncomfortable, but say so you're not an Israeli citizen, are you? You're, oh, maybe you are. You're a dual citizen, whatever. But 
you're you're you just happen to be a Jewish student on campus. Why should th- these people protesting Israel bother you? It's because obviously Israel is a Jewish project, and therefore there is a connection there, which which creates all types of questions and problems. I think from a standpoint of national security and loyalty and policy, because yeah. Jews can't be trusted in having these positions. In whether it's culture, influence, economic power, or or even policy making positions, because their loyalties are are in question by nature of their identity. They can, they are constitutionally incapable of representing the American people. What more proof do we need than the, but, the Biden minion, the Biden administration? Everything they can't like- even hold maintain standards like like ideas of freedom of speech. That principle, their Jewish identity supersedes that good example with this on uh, uh during these uh protests on the campuses uh what university is this is it penn state claire o finkelstein she's not irish wait a minute <laughs> claire o. Finkelstein. she's not irish it's claire <laughs> o you know uh, period finkelstein she's not an irish jew is she an, an irishman like a barack obama yeah Barack Obama. yeah well she's the uh algernon bible i'm uh, sorry algernon biddle professor of law uh at philosophy at university of pennsylvania okay there you go so my notes here well she she's a member of the school's open expression committee and chair of the school's committee on academic freedom and so well, okay, so she must be for free speech, right? Yeah. yeah but then she, she explains that she, in this case, uh, you can't have free speech. And she writes, this is because the value of free speech has been elevated to a near sacred level on university campuses. That's not true, by the way. As a result, universities have had to tolerate hate speech, even hate speech calling for violence against ethnic or religious minorities. The dramatic rise in anti-Semitism, we are discovering that this is a mistake. Anti-Semitism, other forms of hate, cannot be fought and university campuses without restricting poisonous speech that targets Jews and other minorities. Universities also have a duty under the Title VI of the Civil Rights Act to ensure that their campuses do not descend into hostile environments that effectively exclude students of ethnic, religious, or racial minorities from receiving this benefit of an educational of educational programs and activities on campus. So if you're a student and you're protesting Israel, uh, the IDF uh, killing civilians in Gaza, and you're vociferous in your in your uh, opposition to the policy, and you make Jews feel uncomfortable. That's hate speech now. Yeah. Now we we need to contextualize this. What did she say that uh, free speech is not an absolute or something? Yes. Like okay. Well, wait, wait. How did it get that way, honey? Uh, I, I give I'll give you a good example. Uh, Google uh, William F. Buckley and Alan Dershowitz, and you will see Alan Alan Dershowitz in the 1970s. Uh, with his big afro there, his Jewish afro, uh, defending Deep Throat, which was a pornographic movie, and saying this is covered by the First Amendment. Oh, well, wait a minute. That's not true. That was never the case uh, in law in the United States of America. It never covered obscenity. It defended political speech, but not obscenity, until the Jews said it did uh, because free speech was an absolute. Well, fast forward 50 years and you've got Alan Dershowitz standing next to uh, Donald Trump signing a law making it illegal to criticize Jews or Israel on campuses, on federal federal mm-hmm. campuses, something like that. Well, that's how it got there. Well, why do, okay, so why should we listen to, uh, you know, that Irish lady, O'Finkelstein, <laughs> yeah. when uh, we, 
the reason we're in this mess is because of the Jew Dershowitz. When, when are we going to wake up and say, look, we can't have these policy. We can't have people like this determining policy because they can't get it straight. They trip over their own feet every time they make a statement. It's always some type of ad hoc, hysterical reaction to an existential crisis uh, that is threatening the entire existence of the Jewish people uh, uh, throughout the world right now. That's only the way it ever gets couched. You know, well, it just it, it just, it's a complete uh, uh, opposite of reality and conflict with reality. Uh, there is in the, in the United States, is there any any threat of real, genuine anti-Semitic activities in terms of policy or mobs or no? Not, uh, there's nothing of the like. What they're facing is is criticism in the media and criticism on ca college campuses and criticism on the internet for the for their behavior. Uh, this causes a panic because they never they have never dealt with criticism. They never deal with it. You they, they they are incapable of dealing with criticism. Their reaction is immediately to turn it around on whatever whoever is accusing them and saying you're an anti-Semite. You know, there's no I tell me if you ever heard a Jew say something like, Well, now that you mention it, I think I was wrong. Have you ever heard a Jew say something like that? I have never heard that in my entire life. And I've talked to a lot of Jews, listened to more Jews than I than I wanted to. Never heard it. Never heard someone like, like Ben Shapiro coming on and say, well, you know, I think you're right. Now, obviously, there are Jews who do, who de who do this. You know, I mean, uh, obviously, Norman Finkelstein, who doesn't have an O in front of his name, so he's obviously not Irish. Uh, <laughs> He has been vocal in his criticism of Israeli policy, okay? But let's say a Jewish organization, uh, anything, it's not, it's, Finkelstein is the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, they don't take criticism now of, well, either. Uh, they don't, uh, not much introspection. There's a piece I ran, I ran across, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, written by Laurent Guirino, uh, translated by Kevin Barrett, and titled Israel, the Psychopathic Nation. And he talks about the characteristics of psychopathy and a psychopath, and it pretty much can be applied to Israel and the Jewish people as an organ as an organized political community, the, meaning that they are um, they don't accept the interests of, uh, of other people, they, they don't have any empathy, they can't accept any criticism, uh, the other people are always wrong. And so this this people, because of their, um, I guess you could say their uh, their history and their identity, and uh, I guess their their, uh, their myths, they they don't uh, accept any responsibility, nor can they uh, deal equitably with other other groups. And essentially, it makes them uh, collectively a psychopathic people. And we're seeing that in, in you know. What, what do you mean by what do you mean by psychopath? This is someone. I think what 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 I'm trying to translate this into moral language. Someone in whom the voice of conscience has been. Uh, yes. In other words, the 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 voice of conscience doesn't. The voice of conscience doesn't reach consciousness. Doesn't come out. It's not. There's yeah. a disconnect there. And th that's a uh, uh, that's becomes an. Uh, I I'm I I think it's I think it's from an overload of guilt. I think that there's there, there's a passage in the the Marquis de Sade 
uh, not that I'm recommending, I think it's in Justine, uh, where they have these philosophical discussions. And he says, uh, you know, if you do some, some act, some heinous sexual act, and you feel guilty about it, the cure for guilt is doing an even more heinous act. That's what the Marquis decides it. Mm -hmm. And I think that what these people get, uh, you get habituated to evil and you get habituated to a conscience that gets deadened, you know, by, by kind of overstimulation. And then suddenly you don't feel anything anymore. And that's, that's what I think we call a psychopath or a sociopath. Yeah, that's how like uh, Ben Shapiro can call for killing every Palestinian and call them human excrement. You know, they're, they're, they're nothing but human excrement and they, they deserve all to die, you know. What, uh, why, Ben, why does Ben Shapiro react so crazily? I mean, the, the, more than any crazy person, uh, defender of whatever it is, gender ideology, that he's ever interviewed. He's he's now crazier than any of those crazy people mm -hmm. when it comes to Israel. Why is that? Why is that? The same as Alan Dershowitz and Mark Levin, right? Right. They just go, they go crazy, and then it's obvious, but no one can say it because to say it makes you an anti-Semite. Yeah. So Which what is not permitted? So, yeah. It's trying to repress guilt. Uh, the I don't, I don't, I don't, not talking so much about personal guilt. I don't know any about any of their consciences. Uh, but when you have this constant uh, uh, ace, criminal behavior on the part of the group that you identify with. Uh, you, your your mind just uh, it, it shuts down and you 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 can't deal with it and so you have a hysterical reaction when anybody brings it up completely hysterical reaction like instead of saying well you know I think you're right I think the the Israelis have gone too far this time no it's anything they do will be justified by these people well there's a report at CNN and this was confirmed uh, the Israeli defense forces, uh, had snipers, they shot and killed two women inside a holy family parish in yeah. Gaza this weekend, according to the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem, which oversees the Catholic churches uh, in that area in the Middle East. Two women described as a mother and daughter were walking to the sister's con uh, convent, the patriarch. The, the Patriarchate said. One was killed as she tried to carry the other to safety. Seven others were also shot and wounded in the attack. No warning was given. No notification was provided. The statement continued. They were shot in cold blood inside the premises of the parish where there are no belligerents. Now, if you criticize Israel for this, does that make it an anti-Semite? Yes. Okay. That's the whole problem here. When is uh, when is the Israeli government going to apologize? First of all, how can they apologize? when the, Why are the snipers there shooting people coming out of church? I said this before about mm -hmm. when they invaded Ramallah and that if you came out and didn't want to watch pornography on your TV, you came outside, the sniper would shoot you. And now they're confirming that by this behavior. The Pope has come out and condemned it. He condemned it today, said it was an act of terrorism. Now, where, uh, so I, I tweeted in response to this, there's a lady by the name of uh, Mary Eberstadt, uh, who founded some group of fighting uh, anti-Semitism uh, in the Catholics, you know, Catholic anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. I said, when is, uh, and, and she was given the, <laughs> the Catholic of the Year Award uh, for doing that by our Sunday visitor. Uh, so I said, when is she going to condemn uh, the Israelis murdering two, two Catholic women? 
you're Catholic of the year. Don't you think that would be within your uh, purview to do something like that? Well, no, I, I'm still waiting to hear from her. Apparently, she's she her mission in life is to ferret out anti-Semitism among Catholics. And now apparently anti-Semitism goes so far as to if you complain about Israeli snipers shooting uh, women, uh, Catholic women who take refuge in the church, now you're an anti-Semite now because of that. Well, this has got to stop. Now, I have to tell you, Tim, there was a time when I felt pretty lonely. Uh, you know, like when the when the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit came out first about 15 years ago. By the way, this the second edition is now uh, back. It's We just got shipment from the printer, so it's back for sale. You can go on the website, fidelitypress.org, to buy a copy. But back then, I felt kind of lonely. Well, I don't feel lonely anymore. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know about Twitter uh, in terms of the algorithm. Like, is there an E. Michael Jones algorithm? Just when you go to home, I'm not saying type in Hamas or type in this or that. Just when you go to home, it seems that it's full of people complaining about Israeli behavior. Full of that. Now, is that because of me? They're just tickling my ears because they know I want to hear. I don't know. I don't. I don't run the algorithm. But I know that there's a lot more talk in this regard across the board. And I think this is what uh, the ADL is referring to when they talk about this exponential increase in anti-Semitism. The main cause of anti-Semitism is Jewish behavior. And when Jewish behavior becomes as barbarous as it is now in Gaza, well, you can expect uh, pushback. Why could why shouldn't you? If you didn't get, get pushed back, I'd start to worry about the human race and whether the conscience had gone dead. Well, the definition of anti-Semitism is um includes mere criticism of Jews or Jewish organizations or the Israeli government or Jewish influence like APAC lobbying on Capitol Hill, influence of the lobby and you know the subversion of our government. These are all legitimate political issues. If that is uh by definition, anti-Semitism. If if you have any any uh, uh, level of free speech that's allowed, you're going to have a spike in quote anti-Semitism because you're going to have greater criticism. The problem is it's their interpretation. They can't uh, abide or they can't cope with criticism because they cannot cope with the accountability that it creates. They see it as a threat to their dominance. So the issue isn't anti-Semitism. The issue we're confronted with and should be addressed is Jewish supremacy and philo-Semitism. That's the real political crisis that the West has, the United States has. No, is Jewish supremacy. The, you cannot address it through the political process. So that so we're, we're dealing with a, a, the political rally in the United States and the West is Jewish supremacy then. Meaning that's, it's not white supremacy, it's Jewish supremacy. And that's actually instantiated in law, in resolutions, in, in economic, you know, boycotts and power. You know, that's what canceling is all about. That's what the ADL is all about, working working behind the scenes and not so much behind the scenes to cancel people, to get them to toe the line or to shut up or to go away. Um, I, I think this I mean, is it's fairly of, obvious at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's like this is part of the reason for the panic. They don't know what else to do. It, it's like there's one bullet in this gun. Mm -hmm. Big gun. It'll kill you. But there's only one bullet. And what happens when they fire that bullet and pe and the people are still doing it? What do they do then? They don't know what to do. And that's why you get the sense of panic uh, across the board. 
That's why they have the problem in the college campus because you have this sort of progressive stack or hierarchy they create, and you know characters like Claudine Gay and these college campuses. A lot of these are these are Jewish golems that have been created. You, we, you know, we've talked about the civil rights movement and these movements have been exploited by Jews throughout the decades. But um, what happens is, uh, you can't. Uh, these people think that they're protesting, right? And they're protest. They see brown people being killed by white people so they protest under the, under the progressive understanding they're supposed to protest that but but now when they protest that they're targeting jews also they're not allowed to protest anymore it's just like if you had um i made the point that uh, a while back that if 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 those who are doing drag queen story hour came out in support of uh, of, of the palestinians you wouldn't have drag queen story hour anymore <laughs> You know, the same way that Claudine Gay is, is is getting heat for the first time in her life because she uh, inadvertently stepped on the toes of some Jews. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Drag Queen Story Hour is a Jewish operation. Yeah. I did that article uh, in the November issue. Uh, and so that, that has developed in South Bend, Indiana. I, I focused on the library issue. All, the, all Every library is now a showcase for Drag Queen Story Hour That's, and promoting homosexuality. Uh, because the Jews took over the American Library Association at the same time they took over the American Psychological Association and removed homosexual behavior from the DSM. So we all knew that. That's the background. So now it comes to, uh, you know, the South Bend Library. And they prom they're promoting books that are technically obscene. They are obscene. They would be, you could uh, arrest them if it weren't for the library. And so mm -hmm. uh, uh, Congress... Uh, state representatives are thinking of defunding the uh, the American Library Association. Dissociate. I think Mon Montana's done it. Texas has already done it. Texas has gone on to to do this type of thing. So now there's the local uh, angle, and uh, uh, the councilwoman uh, Amy Drake, who got elected because of COVID, uh, is now going after the library. It's a legitimate target. It's mm -hmm. something that needs to be done here. And so it comes to a crisis. We, we've already talked about that. That was in the article that came out in November. She shows up at the meeting and she's an elected official and she's shouted down by a room full of bull dykes wearing black T-shirts saying, uh, keep, uh, keep, your, keep your hands off my banned books or something like that. Anyway, well, there's a new wrinkle. Okay, the guy who is the uh, chairman of the library board is coming up for reappointment. And uh, Amy nailed it. And she said, now we've got a majority of Republicans in the county council and uh, we want to reject him. By the way, his name is Mark Feldbaum. <laughs> okay. okay. He's German? Uh, he's got <laughs> to it. Uh, so anyway, so what happens here? We have a meeting of the local Republicans at pretty much the same time as the council meeting where the Republicans are going to kick Mark Feldbaum out. So the meeting of the local Republicans is what? Oh, it's the title is Israel and the Jewish people. And now what? we have a <laughs> uh, by the name of Eli Wax and a local radio personality by the name of Casey Hendrickson. They give an hour long talk uh, that you could characterize. Uh, I stood up and I said, uh, after it was over and they asked for a comment, I said, uh, 
this is an insult to the intelligence of every single person in the room, which set off uh, Casey. He started freaking out at that point. But what came out, so part of what he said to me is I said, well, you, you look, as far as I know, you, first of all, it was stupid what you said, but St. Joe County doesn't have a foreign policy. Mm -hmm. so not a damn thing we can do about the war in Gaza. But there is this issue with Amy Drake. I mentioned her name. I said, the reason I'm here is because she said we should go and, and try to get Mark Feldbaum removed. I think that's something we should concentrate on. Well, he's screaming at me at this point. He's calling me all kinds of names. What I didn't know, because Amy Drake was there. Amy Drake showed up late, and then she leaves early, you know. And what I didn't know is she had been at that meeting. You had to kind of rush out of that meeting to get to this meeting. And at that meeting, the Republicans stabbed her in the back. The Republicans voted to keep Mark Feldbaum as head of the library committee. So the guy tells me, oh, yeah, we're on that. No, you're not. No, you're not. What? What? So what do we have here? A total control of something as insignificant as St. Joe County in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Fully controlled by the Jews. Okay. Now, so this is the, the option you have now. Now, if you're upset about gay porn in the library, well, you should vote Republican. And that way you can vote for Eli Wax and you can support genocide in Gaza. <laughs> yeah. Now, wait a minute. No, no, wait. So on the other hand, if you're upset about genocide in Gaza, well, then you can vote for the Democrats and they will appoint Mark Feldbaum and he'll make sure that you get gay pornography in the library. So it's a win-win situation but not for the people of South Bend, Indiana. It's a win-win situation for the Jews. Here in this insignificant province, provincial town of South Bend, they totally control the, the political spectrum. Thanks to the feckless Republicans who are determined to uh, uh, make sure that the loser party continues losing. Hmm. Now, uh, you wrote this piece in the, in the December culture, The Demise of the Last Jewish Kingdom. And I think it, it, it's it's uh, about a lot of these issues because it's this, the um, basically it's uh, about uh, uh, Anthony Blinken and pretty much the um, well, the Jews going too far in, in their foreign policy, relying on the Holocaust narrative and just sort of uh, everyone lo losing patience with this. And this is a part of the sort of an 80 year cycle i guess you could say because no jewish kingdoms ever lasted longer than 80 years what, so they, what, suppose, they're getting desperate suppose you got away with murder and suppose you got away with murder again how would that you you would you would start to worry i think you'd start to you you'd probably return to the scene of the crime you'd be under like dimsdale where you turn yourself in because you can't stand it anymore well, I think this is a, the Jewish people have been getting away with murder for 75 years now. I am 10 days older than the state of Israel. Uh, Eli Wax, by the way, said the state of Israel began in 1700 BC, which uh, one of these ludicrous claims. Uh, but anyway, and I think it affects the psyche of all of those people. And I think it the, the, the specter that is haunting 
Israel at this point is that no Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 80 years. And the man who said that was Ehud Barak, who was a prime minister. And it turns out that all of the Israeli prime ministers, current or, or in the past, are all haunted by the same specter. They think that Israel is going to go out of existence. Which is why they look at something like the October 7th raid or any criticism of the response to that as such a, as an existential threat and why the, the rhetoric was so overwrought and exaggerated. That could explain why the rhetoric is so over. It could also explain why uh, the, the, the Jews uh, marched on the, the mosque, the Al-Aqsa mosque, and provoked a, a, a riot, uh, which is what provoked the Al-Aqsa flood. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 because I think that they realize uh, they have about five more years uh, to basically tear down the mosque and rebuild the temple, at which, at which point they will be immune from any type of criticism, and they will rule the world explicitly from um, Jerusalem, which has always been their plan, and all the Goyim will be their slaves who will have no ability to criticize whatever they do. Well, evidently, that's, the, that's their posture position, because whenever you know someone has the uh, the uh, uh, the audacity to speak up on a college campus, they think they can uh, use their money to shut people up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 then if you say, well, listen, I don't trust Jews and how they use their money because they use it for the, for the very thing they do, like control public debate, which isn't a legitimate, really shouldn't be a legitimate use of one's wealth. How, how does that, they shouldn't be able to purchase, you know, you shouldn't be able to, although it's a reality, but supposedly in our system, that should, we shouldn't be a dollar democracy. Oh, it's one dollar, oh. one vote. That's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I met a, uh, an influential Indiana politician who told me he, he never didn't talk about the Jewish control, but he said they should simply ban political advertising from television. Uh, and that would cut the uh, role of money. Mm -hmm. If you, if you want to campaign, you're going to have to go door to door and ring doorbells or something like that, but you're not allowed to use television because once you get into television, you're into the Jewish uh, money laundering operation. Mm -hmm. Which the Jew will give money uh, because IPAC says to support these candidates. The candidate then takes the money and puts it into TV ads, which means it goes right back into Jewish hands again. Mm -hmm. It gets recycled. And that's how they keep total control of the political process. We need to step in and say, look, you can't use, uh, no one can use um, money for any type of campaign ad on television. Well, also do have a problem with them with their influence, like in print media, electronic media. Uh, they're they're very good at identifying choke points or strategic points and taking them over. That's how a small minority is able to dominate a majority. Because once you have enough financial power, you can buy all the shabbos gory help you need. You need, uh, you know, in controlling things, but. Um, just look at you know how the ADL works with even with social hours exposed, the ADL working with the FBI to shut down legitimate political debate with social media and the the big tech companies that was exposed. Um, you can't have a democracy or you know even if assuming the voting process was 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 clean and 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 trustworthy, which I don't think it is. The process prior to voting, which is the flow of inf of information to the public, 
is being controlled as well. That was exposed with the with you know with the Twitter files. Um, yeah, that's why they're going after uh, Elon Musk mm-hmm. uh, because he's allowed. Uh, he's all look. He's implementing the ADL's policy. Yeah, and they still don't still not happy with it. I mean, it's uh, isn't that? Well, I thought that was the compromise they reached that the ADL would not tell Jews not to advertise as long as he implemented freedom of speech but not freedom of reach. So when I I there I so I get certain announcements. Used to be, you know, someone complained. Well lots of people complained, although not many lately for some reason. I think they gave up. But uh it, and we examined it and we found that you didn't violate Twitter's rules or the laws of the state of Germany. Uh well there is still limiting the, the circulation. And I uh, of my ideas, and they're promoting the circulation of other ideas. Uh, but I think what now is going to happen is that Google is going to use Ireland. Ireland is now in the midst of uh, passing hate crimes legislation, hate speech legislation, mm-hmm. and it's going to hold corporations responsible. So that's the backdoor way of forcing Elon Musk to censor any type of speech that uh, the Jews don't like, because then they the corporate uh, entity will be found responsible. Now, this is precisely what the, the opposite of the Communications Decency Act, which said that any platform was, ups, was uh, 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 immune from prosecution for any type of obscenity that took place on that, mm-hmm. on that platform. So that was Bill Clinton opening the internet to total being flooded by obscenity well that was it that was facilitating the proliferation of pornography but then the moment political speech becomes inconvenient they shut down political speech but pornography is still a freedom exactly what i just said about alan dershowitz yes pornography is another jewish sacrament right up there with abortion the owner of Pornhub is not only a jew by the name of Solomon freeman he's a rabbi now, why would a man of God own the biggest, what used to be the biggest uh, porn distri- distributor in the world? Why would he do that? Well, because it's consonant with the Jewish religion, which is using uh, pornography to weaken the goyim. That's obviously the de facto Jewish religion. Why else would you have a rabbi owning the biggest uh, porn operation in the world? Has anyone addressed this? Ben, where are you? I always tried to ask you this about uh, is abortion a fundamental Jewish value? 400 Jewish organizations, I said, Ben, have said that. They're not really Jews. Well, wait a minute, Ben, that's 400. You're one Jew? Are you the Jewish Pope? The same thing, it's like questioning Ben about Pornhub. It's a rabbi, Ben. What's a rabbi doing running a porn operation? He's not really a Jew. This is what Charles Moskowitz says all the time. It's the same with Dennis Prager, right? I mean, he's... Prager did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, Prager is now promoting... Uh, what, what's the most recent thing he did? Is somewhat promoting pornography? Yeah, he was saying uh, that if you commit like virtual child porn, it's better than real porn because there's no victim or something. And I said, really? Is, is that good for the person that does it? How about the people that make it? Yeah, how about... There's, the no, there's no moral... I mean, you're, yeah. are, you, are you thinking about this? I mean... <laughs> the most recent thing he said was people talk to me about the war in Gaza. It's really very simple. 
one side is trying to kill the other side. And for once, I totally agreed with Dennis Prager. But then he said, oh, it's the, the Hamas. No, you got it exactly backwards. It's the Israelis who are trying to exterminate every single Palestinian man, woman, and child in that area. This is called genocide. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what can you expect from a guy who's totally uh, lost his moral compass along the way? And uh, But one of the things he does do is defend pornography. Well, that's Jewish. The, the big crisis in feminism came in the 90s when two women, Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin, uh, said that uh, pornography was harmful to women. Well, duh. <laughs> Took you a while to figure that one out, didn't you? You know how that got stopped? Betty Friedan stepped in and said she enjoyed pornography, and there's nothing wrong with it. Betty Friedan's maiden name is Goldstein, and what you're seeing here, once again, is the Jew steps in to defend pornography. They're consistent in doing this because it's one of their fundamental values, along with abortion and genocide. Mm -hmm. Hey, this uh, uh, this past couple of weeks, we've had two Jewish centenarians pass away, Henry Kissinger and Norman Lear. Uh, who did more damage to humanity? I was going to say, this is proof that the good die young. <laughs> uh, but I, I, the story I heard is that uh, Lear converted to Catholicism. Did you hear that? I heard that through you. I haven't been able to confirm it. There, where'd you hear that? I, I mean, there was uh, his daughter converted, right? His daughter converted, uh, and then some. The original report said that Dominic, uh, it was uh, a Dominican at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, and then the Dominican House of Studies uh, announced that they had no record of his uh, being baptized, and that's where it stands, as far as I know. I don't know anybody. I, my friend uh, Jerry was going to look into that. He lives not far from you. He was going to ask where uh, if any, the Dominicans he knew heard about. It. And I haven't heard anything since that time. But he never publicly repudiated his work or career, though. So I guess it's not ne technically necessary. Uh, about it. The story came out after his death. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. There's some people who uh, think that baptism should be kept secret. I, that's not my understanding of no. the faith. Oh, uh, yeah, well, you, it's usually public. <laughs> the public, it's a sacrament, so it's performed in yeah. public. Uh, usually it's infants now, so, you know, the infant's not going to publicize it, but uh, it, it in a sense, it's a sacrament like marriage that's performed in public. And so it's a public statement. I think that the conversion, if it involves baptism, it should be a, a public, uh, a public mm -hmm. gesture. Uh, announced in public. Yeah, I always thought uh, I uh, interviewed James Tracy last summer about the article he wrote for, for Culture Wars about uh, um, Norman Lear. And it's a very good article that was ran, I think it was in May or June. He's done a number of good articles for us. One was on Lear, one was on uh, uh, Jerry Springer. Yeah, Jerry, he did Jerry Lewis, Norman yeah. Lear, and Jerry Springer. Yeah, that's right. Three consecutive articles. I read those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lear. I always thought it was ironic. Lear, um, of course, using him and the Malibu Mafia using television uh, as a way to sort of make Jewish values normative throughout the country and sort of proudly doing that. Um, but then they were upset in the 80s when evangelical Christians sort of pulled their resources and started using television to uh, evangelize. And he, <laughs> I was like, 
Boy, you you really uh, uh don't get irony, do you, Norman? <laughs> he he founded People for the American Way, right? Yeah, and that was notoriously pro-abortion, as I remember. Yes, it was always his. He it was the American Way, and of course, it's really the Jewish way. And he he would invoke the Constitution. I think he bought a copy of the Declaration of Independence for eight million dollars and toured the country with it. Uh, Rob Reiner, uh, aka Meathead, is, uh, just made a, uh, a I think a documentary on Christian nationalism, and he's lecturing Christians on what their proper you know I guess what their proper political position should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, who better to do that than Meathead on uh, mm -hmm. on the family? So I don't know. I don't know. It, it, uh, that's I'm telling you what I know. It seems to me that uh, if he had done it right, he would have come up with some type of statement about this life mm -hmm. uh, that I, I know Jews never do anything wrong, but uh, once you're a goy, I guess you could say, you know, I did something wrong and I felt that I needed to, I mean, Bernard Nathanson did it. Mm -hmm. He said it was wrong in performing all those abortions. Uh, that seems to me the type of public statement that you need to make as part of your confession. It is interesting. Of course, you had Henry Kissinger, of course, uh, as the uh, so sort of this um, whispering in the ears of various presidents, the secretary, national security advisor, uh, secretary of state. Uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, I guess the uh, shuttle diplomacy, and he was the you know international man. He was Studio Fifty Four. He uh, dated Gloria Steinem, from what I understand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always thought that'd be an interesting date. You know. Where they, <laughs> He picks the glory up front of a date. They tell you, so uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, national, Secu national security advisor and secretary of state. So you got your plate full. That's interesting. You know, them dating. <laughs> it's like it's like a date. Uh, didn't he also date what's her name? Uh, uh, Jill St. John too. So he was he was he was, you know, he was hanging out with the with the, all the pretty people back in the day. But he he helped negotiate sort of the petrodollar uh, deal and that, that helped facilitate the deindustrialization of the United States, the overfinancialization of the US economy. And you have him, Norman Lear, sort of uh, waging the culture war. Uh, but the, I guess Kissinger wasn't explicitly Jewish, though, right? I mean, it was, there's a little difference. He, he was, although he he did help Israel out in many cases, he was more of a Rockefeller guy, right? Yeah, he started off as the age of the Rockefellers. The, what I heard uh, is that in the 73 war, um, Golda Meir called up Nixon uh, when Nixon refused to resupply them, mm -hmm. the army. And so Golda Meir called up and said, if you don't resupply them, I'm going to set off a nuclear bomb in Russia and blame it on you. And at that point, uh, uh, Nixon backed down and resupplied them. I, I have to think that uh, Kissinger probably advised him to do that. I'm sure he was in the loop with something mm -hmm. like it's not what I would have done if I were Secretary of State. It, if if I had heard that, I would have immediately gotten on the phone with Brezhnev and say, look, uh, this is what gold is planning to do. Uh, if she does it, uh, you drop one nuclear bomb on Tel Aviv and I'll drop one on Daimona and we'll take this country out and solve this problem. Uh, but we'll never know. No. We'll never know. Yeah, but, that's interesting. I mean, that's uh, so that's sort of like a, a, a early version of the Samson option. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I guess they didn't have enough enough arsenal back then to do, so they had to threaten so, that. 
the question is, uh, was Kissinger better than Anthony Blinken or worse? I think he was smarter. Do you think he, when, when he met with Mao Zedong, do you think he said, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust? <laughs> yeah. I don't think wow. so. 1971 the Holocaust. I don't know if people were using that term yet, right? I mean, that... <laughs> the TV miniseries didn't come out. I think till 77. 77. That's right. So that term wasn't even being used yet. You know, um... there was something about Kissinger that uh, they had a kind of uh, professionalism that I just see completely lacking in in Anthony Blinken. So in, in yeah. Blinken, it probably allowed him to do more evil. Because Blinken uh, is incompetent. He doesn't know how to talk. Mm -hmm. He's not good at talking. Which is kind of part of the job requirement when you're a diplomat, isn't it? Yeah, and I think also Kishan understood the importance of balance of power. Um, and that was his thing, I think, 19th century in Metternich and the Congress of Vienna. So he wrote about the Congress, you know, the sort of yeah. the balance of power. And there's no, over, but the neocons are all crazy. They don't even understand. They don't understand limitations. No, know? because they've grown up in a kind of pampered generation. And uh, Blinken is part of that pampered generation. Uh, and he learned, uh, I've, I've already talked to, to you about this, wrote the article about it, about how his stepfather, he learned from his stepfather how to play the Holocaust card. Yeah. And that's pretty much all he ever learned. Except for a few licks on the guitar, I think that's the only thing he ever learned how to do. And again, it's like the charge of anti-Semitism. You can say it, but uh, that's it. What what do you say for an encore after you say that? Suppose you say that and people don't shut up. What if they say, I, "I don't care"? I don't care. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't care. I mean, it's so what? Okay. That's Stop. Going yeah. to have to be the response. Uh, so I don't. So on the horizon, I don't see uh, any ability of Blinken to rein in Netanyahu. Uh, and and at a certain point, I mean, the, one of the, some of the fallout has been that uh, Turkey left NATO. Uh, Turkey has a very big army that could march into there. How come that's not making bigger headlines? Because no one wants you to talk about it. That's why. that's a big thing. Because Turkey's membership in NATO was a big introduction to NATO was a big thing, and you believe its exit would be a big thing. Um, but then again, you know we're, we uh, we orchestrate the bottling of the pipeline that fed Germany. You know that they're a member of NATO. So not only is Turkey leaving NATO, U.S. is orchestrating attacks on NATO members. That's but, right. But no one's talking about it, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> you should have invoked paragraph six so that NATO would attack the United States of America. That's right. And But no one bothered to investigate who actually did it. It just happened, apparently. No one seemed to be interested in finding out who actually bombed the Nord Stream pipeline. A bunch of Polacks with a sailboat. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, before I let you go, uh, Poland, uh, our friend Braun, member of the yeah. Polish Braun. Did you catch that? I did. I, I gave him the Culture Wars Fireman of the Year Award. He extinguished a menorah. That's a profound statement because he, he said he doesn't, from what I understand, how the, he's speaking in Polish, but the translation was 
Uh, he doesn't want Poland to be turned into a Jewish state. Now, the big question is, Poland, how many, what percentage of the Polish population is Jewish? Is it less than 1%? It's small now, but I mean, Poland used to be the uh, Paradisus Judeorum. Yes, and then it, that's one of the reasons why it disintegrated. <laughs> Same with the United States is a Paradisus Judeorum, and it's disintegrating. Funny how that works. But um, why is there menorah in a in the parliament building? And the German Poland's ninety percent Catholic. Good question. Yeah. So I, I responded by saying the biggest menorah I ever saw in my life was at the Chris Kindle market in Chicago. Mm -hmm. That Chris Kindle meets Christ Child. Why is there a menorah there at the entrance of the uh, a, a big menorah? Why is there a menorah on the White House lawn? Why is it other than a sign of hegemony? And I think that's what. As a Polish nationalist, he was sensitive to that and uh, put out the put out the candles. I the last picture I saw that to show the development, he's uh, autographing fire extinguishers. Now. <laughs> well, I mean, which is worse, I've, to to extinguish a menorah or to promote pornography, abortion, homosexuality, degeneracy? You know, you know. Because that's kind of what he what he's doing. He's just, he understands that Jewish influence in your country leads to those things, and the disintegration of your country. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so uh, it was a, a, a profound political protest, and uh, relatively nonviolent. So, I mean, yeah, you got people got think you know some foam in their face, but I think everyone was alright. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he's a is he a fan of your work? From what I understand. Someone told me that. Someone said he, he he reads my stuff, so I was honored to hear that. So I had to give him the award, uh, Fireman of the Year award. Look, if if uh, the Israelis can write your name on bombs, then why can't uh, Brown write his name on a fire extinguisher? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And someone cut a head head off the uh, the Baphomet statue in Iowa. Someone put a statue of Baphomet uh, for, uh, for Christmas. Yeah, and there's a Navy veteran went and cut the head off. Yeah, <laughs> so he called it Christian civil disobedience. Yeah. So that, that might get Rob Reiner all upset. So another threat to the uh, to the gay disco here. <laughs> well, Dr. Jones, thank you for coming back on the show. You're welcome. Of course, Culture, Culture Wars magazine. Culture Wars magazine. Uh, uh, lots of stories that you not, won't read anyplace else. The cover issue this month is on the whole Michael Boris issue. That's kind of intra-Catholic, but it has more ramifications mm -hmm. than that. Yeah, the very interesting piece on um, on uh, oh, what's his name, Saul Alinsky. Yeah, Saul Alinsky and George Schuster. That was very interesting. Yeah, uh, Elisa Rangel, the uh, uh, our assistant editor, managing editor, wrote that piece. Not a graduate of Notre Dame. Uh, George Schuster is an incredibly important figure, and nobody even knows who he is. Uh incredibly important figure in the whole post-war world war ii period he was governor of bavaria for two years mm -hmm. german german came from german stock governor of bavaria the bag man for the rockefeller takeover of notre dame crucial figure and uh, so that's he, he was the facilitated rockefeller money getting to Solinsky, right yeah yeah, he was very influential guy, and nobody knows nobody knows that. And uh, and also, uh, 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 Rothschild money as well, from what I understand, right? Yeah. So yeah. why would a radical like Solinsky rules radicals? 
he's getting funding from these banking families. You know, think about that. I have been thinking about that. And so that's what they, <laughs> it's just, wow, look at that. And also the intrigues in Germany in the 1930s, dividing the Catholic Church from the, from the, uh, from uh, from the Third Reich, it's sort of the uh, the intrigues uh, in that. Well, brought uh, Heinrich Brunig to the United States, and Elisa thinks she kid he kidnapped him. Yeah, so I heard the word kidnapping. Like, what? I didn't know about that. <laughs> Brunig got out of town, and he became very bitter because I think he felt that he'd been taken out, and that they were basically uh, using the uh, setting up the the, the Catholic Church. Uh, in an antagonistic relationship with the government, in spite of the Concordat, mm -hmm. that uh, harmed a lot of priests. Yes, yes. So, very interesting article. Well, Merry Christmas. Same to you. Same to you, Tim. And Happy New Year. Same to you.